You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast focused on Atlanta United and Major League Soccer. Atlanta United is through 17 games and has nine wins. I am joined for this podcast, as we've done once before, by a roundtable of the guys who happen to be near me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the other guys who happen to cover Atlanta United. Chris Furmeister is on my left. Joe Patrick is across from me. Felipe Carr is on my right. So, through 17 games... How do you think Atlanta United has progressed under Frank DeBoer? Start with Chris. I think they've progressed. Uh, you know, if we go back to the beginning of the season, it was pretty abysmal playing that 3-4-3. There was hardly any attacking identity. Um, and I think that they're still, they're still struggling in attack to be consistent. They show at times some good ideas of players linking up, but it's just too often when teams are bunkered, they... They just don't have the incisive passing and enough movement, I feel like, uh, to break teams down. Sometimes it takes a wonder goal by Justin Miram to, to get the job done. Uh, defensively, they are certainly the best they've looked in the history of the franchise for years, or two-plus years. Um, DeBoer has certainly drilled them defensively. They they snuff out counterattacks very well. Um, they, Aside from a two-game stretch against Columbus and Toronto recently, they just... They don't allow teams to really get good chances against them. So I think they're still very much a work in progress, and I don't really know what the ceiling can be, but I don't think they're there yet. Joe, first, how can people find you on Twitter? J.A. Patrick 200, my original Hotmail domain name. Uh. <laughs> Man, you are old school. <laughs> I know. That's how long ago it was I got on. Same question for you. How do yeah. you think the team has progressed under DeBoer? Yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of the same things that Chris said, but I would just say that I think that with the way that Frank DeBoer has kind of developed this team, I think it has actually set up for more consistent results. Um with, the, with that defensive structure, that defensive solidity that you mentioned. That being said, it's interesting to think back to Tata Martino's team last year, one of the best teams in MLS history on the road, which I thought was um, maybe because that he played that just total gung-ho attacking system no matter where he was. It was kind of like contact be damned. He was just going to go at it no matter what. And I feel like this year there's a little bit more forethought into how to manage games, how to manage the players through congested periods of the schedule and things like that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the team is coming together. It's like, like Chris said, it's not completely there yet, but I think that we have seen definite signs of progression from where this team was when everybody was up in arms about them, you know, what, a month into the season or so. 
Felipe is back from the unique challenges that traveling with soccer can present. How do you think the team has progressed, and how can people find you on social media? Okay, yes, find me on Twitter, at Felipe Carr, and, uh, yeah, I'm back from Gold Cup. I'll, I'll be at the final on Sunday. Um, but, yeah, let's just be honest. I think you'd have to be very highly critical if you're not able to admit that Atlanta United has progressed under uh, Frank DeBoer. I believe they have. Um, but to Joe's point, uh, and not to compare, you know, with, with Tata Martino, I think even though we're only maybe seven months, you know, away from him being in Atlanta, the fact that they – that under DeBoer, they are so consistent, and you kind of know what you're going to get every time they're on the field. I think there is a, a, a mentality change from opponents. I don't think they're as feared as they were under Martino. And maybe that goes back to what you said, Joe, about their their record on the road under Martino because teams just didn't know how to prepare for them. Obviously, they had Miguel Marone. Um, but now I think you know what you're going to get from Atlanta United. They're going to be very compact in the middle. They're not going to allow themselves to be caught one on one v one in the back. Uh, I, I feel like they're they're still somewhat easy to to mark uh, offensively, and I think that's something that Michael Parker's brought up um, a, few, a few months back. They're still somewhat easy to play against, and so I think that's where they need to adjust. And and I think the midfield, I think he's still trying to find what the right formula is. Yeah, I'm going to post a blog with a lot of my thoughts on the team at the midway point. But one of the points I did make is DeBoer can manage. I mean, after the disastrous 3-4-3 start, he did, in the middle of the Philadelphia game, change the formation not once but twice. They were able to get that tie. And then since then, I think they've won, after the Columbus loss in the monsoon, like 11 of 14, something like that, or 10 of 13. Um, A lot of his personnel choices have been spot on. Uh, Putting in Dion Pereira has worked, so Pogba has worked um, even Pitti you know at times has looked good we'll talk more about Pitti in a little bit um, but I think he does need to kind of cut loose a little bit on offense it reminds me a little bit of watching that poor performance by the U.S. men's national team last night you know exactly what they're going to do it's not very complicated it doesn't make the defense make choices and if the defense doesn't have to make a choice the game is going to be really easy to defend um, so I'm curious what he's going to do. Not maybe against Chicago on Wednesday because Joseph will be back, but they still won't have Barco. They still won't have Viaba. But maybe in that next U.S. Open Cup game when both those players, DeBoer said, are expected to return to the lineup. Who do you all think has been the, the biggest surprise so far in this first half? We'll go back to Chris because I didn't give Chris a chance to provide his social media handles. Yeah, thanks a lot for that, Doug. Uh, I'm uh, at CCFUHR on Twitter. Uh, biggest surprise, we've talked about him being a surprise before. Miles Robinson yeah. has just been, he started well, and, and it's something whenever you ask DeBoer about a young player doing well, he says that you have to be careful and you know expect a young player to have ups and downs. Robinson has been great all season. I mean, I think that the way that I can talk about how good he is is I take notes during the games of players who make good plays and that I think are worth writing about what they're doing. And at the beginning of the season, I would always note Robinson's good things because he was still an unknown at that point. And now when Robinson makes a good play, I do not take a note because I expect it. It's just part of his game. Uh, so, yeah, Robinson on the defensive end, I think in the attack, you go in any number of directions, but Dion Pereira coming in 
starting with Atlanta United, too. And then he's become a guy that DeBork can count on to start games with the first team. And he's not fully developed yet. He's got more polish to take. But he adds something to the team that not a lot of other players do with the pace that he has, and especially when he's filling in for Tito Vigilba. So, yeah, I think that Dion Pereira is a guy who I definitely did not anticipate midway through the year looking at him as a guy who is really a key contributor. I think for me the biggest surprise has kind of been on the negative side with Pitti Martinez. I just thought he would have been able to integrate himself a little bit more and just being able to be more, provide more production, more output, you know, in terms of goals and assists that just haven't really come as easily as I think, you know, they probably should have this year. I think that, you know, you can, it's always, there's always going to be a struggle when a player comes into a new team, especially in a new league. We, we've gone through this with a guy like Ezekiel Barco before, but, you know, just with him being a little older, a little more seasoned as a veteran, he's made a move. Granted, it wasn't outside of a different league, but he's kind of been through the struggle that it, that you go through when you change teams like that. I just thought he'd settle in a little quicker. I still think long-term, I don't really have much concern about him. I just think that it's taking him some time. And I think that for him, it's more of a, uh, you know, there's been a lot of expectation, right? Like fans have expected so much of him because of the price that he was and the quote, the South American player of the year and all that. And I think that, but I really think what we're seeing now are the effects of the expectations that Pitti had for himself coming here. I think that that's really what is driving a lot of his own personal frustration. At least that's the sense that I get, is that things just aren't coming as easy for him. The refereeing is, you know, not what he would... He's not getting a lot of calls that he, you know, thinks he should get or that he may have gotten in the past. So I think he's still just struggling to adapt all those things. But again, I think I think he'll come around. I guess um, in terms of a surprise on, on, the, on the more positive side, I would go with, uh, more recently, Brandon Vasquez. I just think he's looked very good uh, as a backup striker, and I did not think that the team would be in a position to get rid of a guy like Romario Williams at this point of the season. Uh, but he's proven that he's he's going to be capable of doing that, and I really liked what I saw from him in the last game against Montreal, even though he didn't score or assist or anything. Just the running he did, his tactical kind of now knowing where when guys need to be closed down, especially when the team didn't have the ball. I thought that was really, uh, really good to see from a very young player, and he's a player that still has a ton of potential, you know, former youth national team player for the United States, so uh, very excited to see what he can do. That was Joe Patrick of Dirty South Soccer. Now we'll go to Felipe. Uh, yeah, I think there's... I'll agree with Chris with, with, with Miles Robinson is, is a very obvious choice. Um, and quickly on him, I think he just does his job. You know, I think the, the main, the, the main job of a central defender is to win one-on-one duels, is to, to win those throughout the game, and he does that fairly easily. Uh, I think at times, and, and I've, I've noted this, that, um, kind of playing out of the back is still something that he is, he can improve on, and I feel like, um, he was very consistent at the beginning of the season. He, uh, I think some of his distribution has, has, has slumped a little bit in the last few games, but that could just be, you know, based on the layoff. I think a lot of guys could, are, are lacking sharpness right now. Um, and, you know, I think I agree with, with Joe as, as far as, you know, PT Martinez. I think he, he himself probably is, is, has put him, has put a lot of pressure on himself to, to deliver. Uh, you know, I think, the playing in this league is is not easy. I don't. It doesn't matter what, what if you're what reward or what award you won before you got here. Uh, the pace of play is different. The physicality is different. The surfaces are different. Uh, and he's very a very particular type of creative player that 
you know, I think he needs a little bit more time on the ball, and, and I think he's still um, adjusting to how the defenders are defending MLS. It's, it's, it can be very intense in the middle of the field. It's very tight. Uh, in, in South America and Argentina, the, that middle of the field tends to be a little bit more wide open and you can sit on the ball and, and, and look up and he's just not getting that time. And then when he does find time, he feels like, it seems like he's just like in this big hurry to get something done. Um, and he's a very kind of quick thinking player. So I think he just needs to, to adjust time wise. My biggest surprise, and I, again, we can argue if this is a really big deal, but he's a guy that's sitting in the same room with us, Ezekiel Barco, you know, Listen, I think the season that he had last year and coming into this year, there were probably question marks. Is he that good? Is like, how is he going to play under De Boer? Where is he going to play? Uh, will he start? You know, considering that PT Martinez was signed, and I think he's become one of the best players on the team, one of the most important players on the team. Uh, you know, he crushed it at the U20 World Cup. Uh, he's playing in a new position here in Atlanta, uh, a little bit more central. Um, and he can, he continues to deliver. To me, he's one of those young players that you know is just a good professional, um, and he's hasn't had any problems adjusting to Frank DeBoer either. Yeah, I agree with all those points. One thing that I thought was interesting against uh, Montreal on Saturday was Miles Robinson did hit two long diagonals to Vasquez. One he connected with, uh, I think it was right before the end of the half, and the other uh, he hit just a little bit too long. So he's starting to show kind of that ability and the confidence to try to attempt those shots, which is huge. I remember early in the season, not to interrupt, but when Frank said that he didn't want Miles playing those balls. Right. Like he told the AJC, actually told the Atlanta General Constitution, he's like, hey, I don't want to see him, even though that's what I did well, this is quoting Frank DeBoer, even though that's something I did well, I don't want to see Miles doing that. So that's interesting. And I do have some long-term concerns about Pitti, only because he's not going to get any faster. And I don't think he's going to get a whole lot stronger. And right now, I think that's two of the gigantic issues that he has. He's not—he's not getting away from people, uh, defenders, both laterally or vertically. And when he does, they catch up to him pretty fast. Um, what does this team need to add in the upcoming transfer window to better position itself to defend its MLS Cup? We'll start with Felipe this time. Uh, you know, I think there's still room to improve in, in the attack. Maybe another uh, central striker. Uh, I think that was something that probably the consensus coming, you know, before the international break was, hey, maybe Joseph needs a good backup. Possibly Brendan Vasquez is taking care of that. It sounds like, you know, according to what Frank DeBoer said, that that he might be that guy that can that can back him up. I still think the central midfield and, the, and right back positions. Um, could use some more depth. I mean, at, at right back, we, you know, Franco Escobar is a guy that has become one of the best in in that position in the league, but he can be injury prone, and they're, they're kind of running out of options of, of guys that can play in that spot that aren't used to playing in that spot. So I think they've gotten by um, with with guys like Breck Shea, who have had to move in the back, you know, with George Bellow out. So I would look at right back, and I think in central midfield. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Darlington Agby still at the end of the season. I'm not sure if he is he a guy that's staying. Like he doesn't seem sure if he's going to be here long term. Uh, Jeff Lernerwitz is is not getting any younger, uh, and and I think they could use some fresh legs um, options there. I think that's a position in a, in a part of the field that DeBoer really would like to 
uh, strengthen down the road and, and possibly get a little bit younger. The team has, of course, been linked with Emerson Hyman, a uh, former kind of U.S. starlet who has lost his way in Europe uh, since he went to Fulham, uh, gone on many, many loans, and they really haven't worked out. Still only 23, though. Um, he could be that central midfield guy to back up Nagby and maybe get a spot start uh, if he if he signed, number one, and if he comes in and, and is fit and can figure out the board system. Joe, what do you think the team needs? Yeah, I'm with Felipe, with central midfielder, and but I think more so at right back. And I think that at, at right back you really need to look at not only – See, Atlanta United has guys they could play there, and Michael Parkhurst is a guy who can play at right back. But when you play Michael Parkhurst at right back, you're really losing a lot of what Franco Escobar gives you. So I think you really need to look at the pro. You don't you don't have like the profile of player that can back up a guy like Franco Escobar because the backup you're putting in is going to be completely different, and that's going to change the way the team not just defends but especially the way they attack. Because you know, in modern soccer, you know. Fullbacks are so important to helping the team in the attack. So, I, for me, that's the biggest area uh, that this team needs because it's quite evident at this point what, the, what we've seen this season, how different Atlanta United is when Franco Escobar, a right back, is in or out of the lineup. It's just startling. Yeah, I think Mike Conti put a stat out that when Escobar is not in the starting lineup, Atlanta United has not won this season. And I think that was the problem at Toronto. Without Joseph, without Barco, without Viaba, and without Franco, they had no speed mm-hmm. on the field whatsoever. And to do to break down a team when you don't have speed is difficult. And, and I know there's been a lot of clamoring about bringing in a left back, at least from a lot of fans that I've talked to. But I just think right back is so much more important for the yeah. reason that I mentioned. When you look at left back, you already have so much invested in that position just in terms of money. You know, the way MLS is structured, you need to balance out where you're investing. And right now at left back, you already have Brecchet. Uh, George Bello and Florentine Pogba. Now that we've seen over the, that can play over there, as well as Mikey Ambrose. So you only have, you almost have four options that you could play there. You really don't have those options at right back. So I think for me, that's why it's more present need. Chris, well, I will make the argument for a left back. Um, You're wrong. Let's go. Right. Let's go. <laughs> no, I think you know it's a position that I don't know that I expect anything would be done there because with George Bello, you know he he is the future. You don't really want to sign a guy who would take playing time away for George Bello whenever he's ready. But if we're talking about just immediate short-term this season, Atlanta United trying to defend its championship, Bello's – who knows how long it's going to take him to get back into game shape from recovering from this injury. And then we have to remember he basically has not played this year. He has to get up to speed in the system. He, it's, it's hard to imagine that you can rely on Bello being an impact performer at, really at any point this season. And right now they've they've tried Greg Shea, they've tried Parkers, they've just tried Florentine Pogba. There's just not they don't have anybody who's giving them like the dynamic play at fullback that Franco does on the other side. And with the way that they're playing with you know inverted wingers, I mean they've just they've got to have dynamic play from the fullbacks. And yeah, when Franco's not in there, it's kind of a disaster, and it would be the team would be a lot better off a if they had Franco and someone to complement him on the other side, and b if Franco were unavailable, having someone on the left side being able to do that sort of job. But I don't know if they will sign anyone considering Bellow's future. Yeah, this isn't a knock on Bellow, but I'll be surprised if he starts the game exactly. uh, the remainder of the season. It's simply taking so long for him to to get back. Uh, we just saw him walking out of the training center just a bit ago. No idea what he was, was doing. That's the first time I've seen him in, around here. I mean, I'm sure he's been around, but that was the first time I've actually seen him in, in a couple months, probably a month or so. 
Yeah, there, there's some other things I'm curious to see if, if Kevin Kratz is going to be put on the physically uh, unable to perform equivalency list, which would open up a roster spot for Atlanta United. I've completely forgotten about the the loan of um, uh, what's his name to Memphis, uh, Lagos Kunga. That has also opened a roster spot for Atlanta United. So with the trading of Williams, the the loan of Gallagher. The loan of Kunga, Atlanta United actually will have three roster spots open, I guess, when the transfer window opens on June 7th and some of these things are completed, completed. The key is how many of those roster spots are like the senior roster, the on-budget players, because those are the ones that they would need to open up in order to bring in players. There's only one senior roster spot that's going to be open, and that's the trading of Williams. If Kratz is put on the the season-ending injury list, that will open up another roster spot. Well, another issue, we could see, could there be a trade of someone, of one of these senior players? Because we have to remember that this is a new manager in Frank DeBoer, and he's just now finding out what he has in his players. And is there a player that is an Atlanta United starter and has been that Frank DeBoer might decide is not his kind of player? And if he identifies someone who he likes better, then that could be something that comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I don't. I don't see that happening in the middle of the season, off season, definitely, but not not right now. Yeah, I think that there. I don't think we'll see big signs in this window. You know what Atlanta United is, is accustomed to, what the fans are accustomed to. But I agree with you, Chris, that in general we don't know completely the profile player that Frank DeBoer really wants. But I do believe that the club and him probably have an understanding. This is how we're going to play. Uh, this is our market. You know, you look at just bringing in Breck Shea and bringing in Justin Miram are examples of the fact that Atlanta United doesn't have to go international every single time they bring players in. They're going to look for the players that are bargains uh, that can that can deliver and perform and deliver right away. So I think that could be, in this window, we might see more guys around MLS that might need maybe a change of scenery that can come in and play right away. He says that all the time, doesn't he? Like, I need a guy that can... Play Step right in. away, yeah. stepping right away. So I think looking for like the young, exciting players might be more like Doug said to like more of like a an off season type of move. I would say that there's one player that intrigues me that would address the left back position that Chris mentioned, and that is a guy that currently plays for Atlanta United too, and Guillermo Benitez. He just scored a goal against uh, Loudoun County, and I, honestly, I wouldn't take put that much stock in the fact that he scored a goal. It was at the end of the game, and it was just kind of. I mean, it was a nice shot, it was a good goal, but it was just. Generally, you don't really care about goals from a left back, but he's a guy that I've noticed over the course of the season, very athletic left back, kind of your classic get up and down the t- uh, the, the the byline, and um, I, I he, to me. Panamanian, right? Yeah, Panamanian. They just signed him this year, so, and that's the one issue is I don't know logistically if they are they would be allowed to transfer him to the senior team after such a short stint um, with the with the with Atlanta United too. But he's a, he's a name to keep an eye out on. And last question, because each of us have things that we need to do this afternoon. Uh, some kid-wise, some Joe Patrick, I'm sure needs to go hit golf balls or something. Uh, and Chris, you know, he's just a good guy. <laughs> he needs a haircut, a beard, a beard trim. Um, will, uh, what will be Atlanta United seating in the playoffs? We'll start with Chris this time. Uh, I mean, Excuse me of being a sunshine pumper, but I think they'll be the top seed in the East. I just, I, I think that they are not as exciting as they were last year. I think they still have issues to work through, but 
you have to credit DeBoer for the defensive structure that he has installed. And for the most part, they are seeming to find a way to grind out games. And I think that if you look at a lot of the results that they've gotten lately, there have been so many key players missing. You know, Barco has been gone for what seems like forever now. Uh, they've just gotten a win and, advan- and gotten a couple of U.S. Open Cup wins without Joseph Martinez. They seem to have the depth this year. I, I just feel like that once everybody comes back, once and, and you know, Pitti Martinez, if he improves at all and becomes any sort of impact player, then that makes the team that much better. So I just I, I see them as the favorites in the East. I, I, I do too, and that's at the beginning of the season I actually predicted Atlanta United to finish fourth in the East. I just thought under a new coach with the CONCACAF Champions League there would be a lot of issues, and there were, but they've actually been able to kind of overcome those issues, a lot of them. And I think you have to give a lot of credit to the front office that has developed this roster. I think what you're really seeing is Atlanta's depth pieces able to, in this congested schedule that every team in MLS is having to deal with now that they've changed the way the, 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 the playoff schedule works, uh, every team is, fa- is having to resort to going to their depth pieces, and I think that Atlanta has some of the best depth in the league, to be to be perfectly honest, as well as, you know, they have some of the best top-end talent as well, but they've done a really, really good job at just continually trying to optimize the roster in any way you can, and it, it, it's it's really great to see um, Darren Eels, Carlos Bocanegra, even when you feel like Atlanta's the best team. They got the most talent. They don't need to do anything. They're always trying to push that boundary to try to get one more player and try trying to add wherever they can. I think that's what's going to help push them push them through. Yeah, I remember uh, early in the season when they were just playing really poorly. I, I said in the next to I was sitting next to Joe and I'm like, "There's no way this team wins MLS Cup this year." I just did not believe it. Um, and, and I might eat my words because the way that I, this is before the East was the East that we know that they are today. I think MLS. The Eastern Conference is, is ripe for Atlanta United to to keep climbing, you know, despite what we've talked about on this podcast about, you know, the, the sharpness in the attack. I think they'll continue to climb, and, you know, the teams ahead of them aren't great teams. Um, and so, yeah, I can clearly see them as, as the number one seed going into the playoffs. But it is a different playoff format. It's signal elimination. That means that changes everything. It's, you know, one error and you're out. Uh, and, and this team is, is still a work in progress. Um, you know, I think as far as depth goes, you know, I remember when, when Frank DeBoer was introduced and Darren Eels uh, g- gave us some time, you know, for a little media scrum, he talked about depth. And I remember him saying, like, we're better than we were last year, but they're not completely, like, satisfied. And so to your point, Joe, I think, I think they're deeper. But I don't think they're like, oh my gosh, look at this, like, look at the depth that this team has. Like, they're doing great with what they have. And to your point, they're adding these players that when they're, when you're at, they're added, you're like, really? This guy, like, what's he gonna add? And, and they deliver. So that could be just the chemistry of the team. But the original point, you know, I think they'll go into the playoffs as the top seed. You don't think so? I think they're gonna be the second seed. I think one of the New York teams is gonna pip them. Uh, for the top seed. Uh, both Red Bulls and NYCFC are playing really, really well right now. NYCFC has two games in hand on Atlanta United, and they lead the conference in points per game right now, and they have the home field advantage of playing in that cat box of Yankee Stadium uh, that shouldn't be a Major League Soccer stadium. Uh, but that's either here or there. Home field advantage then if they get, if they get a playoff. Yeah. Home playoff. Oh, by the way, uh, Charleston's field still looks horrible uh, looking at the videos on Twitter. Uh, but that's either here or there. All right. Uh, Social media sharing time. Chris, how can people find you again? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at, at CCFUHR, and I write for ProSoccerUSA.com, and that's at ProSoccerUSA.com. 
Joe? At, at J.A. Hey, start again. At J.A. Patrick 200 and at Dirty South Sock on Twitter. S-O-C. Follow me on Twitter at Felipe Carr and follow The Athletic Soccer at The Athletic S-C-C-R. And you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. That's D O U G R O B E R S O N AJC. On Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal of Constitution for all the coverage of local government, which has been very interesting lately. Your municipality, sports, including Georgia, Georgia Tech, the Braves, the Falcons, and Atlanta United. And lifestyle, uh, where there's always something going on in the city that you can find about in the Atlanta Journal Constitution. And I hope you all appreciate, and I'm not scolding, I'm just saying, the level of coverage provided for Atlanta United. I, I've been to every visiting city except for one now, and you'll see a lot of people in the press box, but you don't see the level of coverage of a team that you get daily as you do here for Atlanta United in the city of Atlanta. So wrapping up the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast, thank you very much. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.